0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a
1: llegar el gol del Arsenal Özil. Marca Mesut Özil. Alexis
2: en el descuento ha marcado.
1: This is Arscast Extra.
2: Welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunner Blog. Good morning to you, James. Good morning to you. Uh, how, how is everything in in your world?
1: Yes, it's 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 relatively goodly. I would I would say. Uh, okay not too bad i've got i've got a sniffle guys um yeah a little bit of a cold but then who doesn't you know around this time of year i feel like we're sort of although we're coming into april Maybe that should be leaving me behind, the sniffle.
2: Yeah, well, look, I caught one in uh, in Barcelona, and uh, I'm feeling a, a bit better than I was uh, Friday morning, I have to tell you. When mm. I was uh, quite ill, indeed. And I had to go to bed on Friday afternoon. I never go to bed in the afternoon. I'm not one of those people who can nap. You know those people who nap?
1: Yeah, I can't do it either. I can't
2: fucking do it. Can't, can never do it unless I'm sick. And I was quite sick, so I went to bed for a while and then woke up. Because like, one side of my face felt like somebody had hit it with a spade. Okay, um, so I had some sinus medicine, and that seemed to help and um
1: uh, or you could have just hit the other side with a spade just to even you out.
2: Yes, that's true, but that
1: would probably
2: have caved in that part of my head, and i you know I know it's not I know it's not perfectly shaped, but I don't want it quite that misshapen.
1: Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, improving it is possible, but maybe not in that fashion.
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it could have made it worse. And I, you know, I've spent a long part of my life, uh, well, pretty much all of my life, trying to avoid being hit in the face by things. You know, Mm. I I think that's a good outlook to have on life, like boxers and MMA people. You know, I I look at them and go, you're mad. You're just mad. Why would you go and deliberately let somebody hit you in the face? It no.
1: seems to be against evolutionary instinct, doesn't it? I imagine the large amounts of money on offer are part of their decision. Yeah, but still... Amateur boxers, though. Can anyone explain that? I, I don't.
2: I can't. I mean, look, the the, the the lure of a lot of money is, is something, but you know, there are other ways of doing it. Like, you could get really good at golf, and you don't have to get hit in the face at all.
1: That's a very good point, unless you stand near someone with a club too near too dangerous that did
2: happen to me once in my life honestly no way yes i was about 15 and i was playing in a tournament golf tournament in baltray in uh, up the coast here beautiful okay. links course and uh, i was playing with a, a friend of mine i think his name was shane and i said ah, hello there i was walking towards him and he swung the club back and hit me right under the chin right under the chin and split my chin open and um of course uh <sighs> This was before the round of golf, and I wasn't going to not play, so I went to the clubhouse, and they gave me those you know, those old um, fabric kind of plasters. I know the ones. So I, I stuck about a couple of them on, and I was wearing a sort of a white um, golf shirt, polo shirt, or whatever you call it. And by the time I'd finished, it was just like, a, I looked like Terry Butcher, sort of. Yeah. That kind of vibe Your going on. Your
1: Paul p- Ince moment in Rome, exactly. Yeah. Wow, I but mean, on a golf course. If that happened more in golf, I'd probably watch it more. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, a bit more violence. You know, I'm not. I'm not averse to watching it happen to other people. I just mean, from, from my point of view, I want to stay away from it.
1: But fair enough, extreme golf. I'd be interested.
2: Yeah, come on, let's do it. They could, uh, you know, get Conor McGregor doing an extreme exactly. golf. That would be something.
1: So look, come on, come on, America. It seems like something they would do. Yeah. Um, look, look. You said I'm looking. What am I looking at? You're looking at.
2: An Arsenal team that won a game of football. What about that?
1: I'm looking at a sweet three points, baby. Come on. (laughs) It's weird. It's weird. I don't know what to do. It, It feels odd. Um, It was nice, wasn't it? It was real nice. Yeah, played well,
2: looked quite good. First half in particular, played some very good football. Uh, Good goals, dynamic, good counter-attack, movement, pace, power. All these things have been missing from our game for quite a while, and there they were. It was like,
1: yes. I'm going to stick to my original analysis of real nice. Real, real nice. I'm not going to go any deeper than that. Um, No, it uh, it was great to see, actually. I mean, Everton... In a little bit of mitigation, they were real bad, weren't they, Everton?
2: They were like a bag of shite. They really were yeah. very, very bad. Very bad.
1: I was chatting to an Everton fan yesterday about this, and he was sort of saying, to be honest, it's, it's been like that. It's been pretty poor most of the season. I mean, their league position's not good, considering the talent they have available in the squad.
2: Yeah, let um, me ask you something. I mean, could it be, I'm just throwing this out, sure. there, that, that Roberto Martinez isn't quite as good a manager as people would suggest?
1: I think there may be something in that. And I'll be honest, I probably said on here a couple of years ago that I did think he was pretty good, and I think... You know, he can be tactically innovative at times. For example, the no-defending formation. Yeah, that's Uh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That served him real well. The pass uh, the ball to the opposition at every available moment. uh, That's that's really good. That's a piece of avant-garde coaching, if ever I saw it. What are they doing? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We're so confused. (laughs) So confused. They keep giving us the ball. Amazing. John Stones, I mean, is sort of grown up in that culture, and it seems for all his technical abilities to be a master of that particular art. Mm. But I am... yeah, I, I am beginning to have serious, serious doubts about Martina's ability to, to build a team that's not just pretty, but can actually win games. Mm. Uh, I like he, him. He seems nice. Oh, he's a lovely guy. And I heard a great story about how he's got an L-shaped sofa in his house so with two different television screens on each wall so that he can watch football sat next to his wife, who's looking at another wall, watching, I don't know, something stereotypically feminine. I don't. Know that, made, I, that warmed him to me. That warmed him to me. Right. I thought, you know, he, he's watching a lot of football. Maybe his wife's less of a fan, but he's built a living room specifically so they can still spend time together. I found that curiously romantic.
2: It, it is nice, but you know, maybe we should, uh, you know, accept the possibility that she doesn't necessarily watch feminine things. She might be watching extreme
1: golf. Oh, exactly. I mean, I just said stereotypically feminine to to play into the guys. It's 2016. Don't worry. I'm sure she's watching UFC.
2: Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, but look, okay. But uh, aside from him being a very nice, man, and uh, that's a that's a nice story. L-shaped couches, uh, I'm not mad for them myself, I have to say. But maybe that's a the, the space issue. I don't have enough space.
1: Have you got corners in your house? If you don't have corners, there. If all your rooms are circular, an L-shaped couch is going to be a nightmare.
2: No, I do have corners. I, it's more narrow. You know, it's trying to get it I in, see. and the shape of the
1: room, and what have you. I see. I feel like we've strayed from the point. He's not. He's not doing very well, is he?
2: <laughs> no, he's not. And uh, you know, they do have a very talented side. They've got some very good. Players in it, but uh, they were bad. I think that was the point we were making that they were quite bad, uh, whereas we were we were quite good. Was that? Yeah, me?
1: no, we were good. Don't get me wrong. And I think some of their badness doth be a result of our goodness, as yeah, the saying goes.
2: That's a very biblical. Uh, it's in uh, the Book of Saint Jehovna, uh, verse two yes. twenty-seven,
1: the Book of Almany. Yes. And uh, yeah, I, I thought we did really well and. I'm probably the first person to ever say this, Andrew, but I would call that a game of two halves in some respects. That
2: is my my groundbreaking analysis. I just coined that phrase, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, Because first 45 minutes, very good going forward, very incisive, penetrative, I thought quite, you know, it's generally exciting on the ball, lots of interchanging of positions. But second half, a bit of fatigue creeping in maybe from the new Camp, Mm. um, and we were prepared to sit back and defend a bit more, and I thought... What was really inc- was encouraging was that we did that really well, you know? I thought, individually and collectively, we defended very, very well in that second half.
2: Yes, I was a little concerned. I mean, Gabriel, there were a, mom- a couple of moments with Gabriel where I thought, Ooh, you know, this, this uh, special there power... There always are. There <laughs> always are. <laughs> this special power that he has to be able to shank a clearance behind for a corner from any available uh, position. He's, he's very good at that, but... Um- yeah. He settled down really nicely. I think there was one great moment as well. I really liked it where he sort of misjudged a header. And Koscielny just came running over and leapt about 12 feet into the air, just headed away because he mm-hmm. knew it was going to happen. But uh, it was interesting. It was Gabriel on Lukaku. And they'd obviously decided that Gabriel was the weak link and that uh, Gabriel is somebody who could be turned. Uh, we've seen it happen to him before. But he dealt with Lukaku very well.
1: Yeah, I mean Lukaku's kind of quite starved of service, but even when he did have the ball, I thought we managed him very effectively. I kept I keep expecting Per Saka to come back into the side at Gabriel's expense, but uh, it seems Arsen's really determined to give him a, a run in the team at present.
2: Mm, seems like it, seems like it, but you know, I take your point as well in general that we did defend very well. Koscielny I thought had his best game for ages and really good. We had a midfield partnership don't want to go overboard. Don't want to go to town on it just yet. But we had a midfield partnership that looks like it might actually work together.
1: Extraordinary, isn't it? Amazing what it can do. I mean, uh, it's funny because Cockland was the guy who came into the team last season, and suddenly there was this sense of balance that there hadn't previously been. Uh, and now El Nenny's kind of played that role this year. You know, coming in halfway through, and really, uh, we do look much more solid. I mean, it's simple stuff though, isn't it? He, he, he's very good at making himself available for a pass and he's very good at helping to screen the back four mm. uh, uh, and we just look infinitely more solid as a consequence.
2: Yeah, he's hugely energetic as well because there was a moment late in the game, probably heading towards injury time or in injury time, Everton had possession around the halfway line and he tore from one side of the pitch to the other side of the pitch to to press those players on the ball, uh, ran sprinting around at top speed for about 20 seconds and then just sort of dropped back into his normal midfield position and this was late in the game uh, his fit uh, Fitness must be extraordinary. When you look at uh, the stat that came out of midweek as well from the Barcelona game, he ran two kilometres more than any other Arsenal player on the night. It's Mm. it's amazing.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, when we signed him, uh, you know, the most cursory research, that was the thing that kept coming up, uh, this incredible reserves of stamina. And when Basel played Real Madrid, I think it was last season, he was the player who covered the most ground on the pitch that that evening by Mm. some distance, in both games, in fact. And it's clearly, you know one of his best traits and it's super valuable because he's playing a a box-to-box role and at the moment he's he's genuinely fulfilling that he's covering every blade of grass but crucially he has that conservatism and that it's almost a yeah a a simplicity to his game where I think there's a kind of safety first approach which is actually what we need right now Mm. Um, and alongside Cochlear who I thought Again, you say Koscielny had his best game for a long time. I think the same is true of cockland as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with that. Um, he was very, very good, and I think that platform that we had in front of a back four that operated very well, that didn't make mistakes. You know, all of a sudden you're much more solid, and then you're looking at what's happening going forward. And Arsene Wenger, I suppose you have to say that he was brave in terms of the team selection, having selected Alex Awoobi. There's my phone. Uh, Hello.
1: That's it's my probably Arsene just ringing up to take some of the credit.
2: It's my brother. Hang on. Hey, I'm just recording a podcast. So I'll call you back in a while. Sure. All right. So there we go. Um, <laughs> Arsene Wenger was brave. Arsene Wenger was brave. So he selected Iwobi against Barcelona, which I think was a, which was a huge call, really. When you look at the players that were left on the bench, the seniority of those players, and one of the criticisms I've had in recent weeks is that he seems to have uh, preferred seniority or a hierarchy above performance. Mm-hmm. And that selection of Iwobi against Barcelona was, to me, an acceptance that so, okay, you've had your chances. Theo, Theo, <laughs> Joel Campbell, <laughs> you've done quite well, but I think it's hard to escape the, the 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 thinking that Arsene Wenger just believes him to be an OK player, rather than somebody who's got, got big, big potential, right? So he's yeah. looked at Alex Iwobi and thought, well, why not? Let's give it a go. We have to try something different. With Danny Welbeck up front, uh, he's picked Iwobi again against Everton, which I think was the right thing to do. If you're going to pick him against Barcelona, you've got to pick him against Everton. And that, that faith was uh, rewarded in uh, those two guys getting the
1: goals. Yeah, I mean, I think the Iwobi thing's really interesting because I agree Campbell... I think Campbell can feel a little unlucky. You know, he hasn't really let the side down when no, he's been called upon. Not at all. Uh, you know, unlike maybe certain more senior players. But looking at the differences between him and Awoebi, the main thing that strikes me is the flexibility Awoebi brings. When Campbell plays for the right, to, from the right occasionally, or switch to the left, but. I feel like positionally he's a bit more rigid, whereas when you had Iwobi alongside Erzo and Alexis, it really felt like they were constantly interchanging and constantly popping up in each other's positions. And it he seems like an incredibly adaptable player who really functioned well in that system and it made us a lot more unpredictable going forward and gave us a lot more variety. Uh, and I just wonder if that might have been what gave him the edge. Aside from that, though, obviously his all-round performance, probably until he tired in the second half, was, was really, really, really good
2: yeah there way he got into some great positions, some of the decision making I think you'd say. There are a couple of moments where he might have might have made more of counter attacks, yeah. but I think that will come with experience and it'll come with you know more knowledge of the game at this level and and how quickly you have to make those decisions because it is a step up when you're coming up from youth football uh, from under 19s or under 21s that there's probably more time at the very top level you've got to make those decisions really really quickly and that that will come with time. But there was nothing but positives from Iwobi on the day. And, I agree. You know, for for him to come into the side and to perform the Way he has on a consistent basis. I mean, this wasn't just a one-off game. Every time he's played this season, there's been something to like about him. And we just see that he's gaining confidence and gaining, obviously feeling a bit more part of things. He was moved into the first team dressing room. Wasn't he mid-season? Mm-hmm. They brought him into first team training. He's been integrated into the group. And that's been reflected in in the performances. And, and this was his first Premier League start. I think it was his 13th or 14th appearance. But the the consequence of, of playing all those other games was the goal and was the, uh, the way that he was able to slot into that side.
1: Yeah, and what about the way he took the goal as well? I mean, when Bellerin released him, and it was a very good pass and a brilliant run from Iwobi, who actually wins the ball back deep in his own half, doesn't he? He sort of mm. works together with Alexis to close Everton down. Um, but when he raced away from the defence, I was almost looking square of him because I'm so used to Arsenal players in that situation uh, taking an extra touch and looking to play a pass but once the goal was in front of him the, the whites of his eyes lit up and he had such conviction the way he took it on and finished for a player so young I thought it was a great take um, and a, a really good goal mm. and, th- and the other thing about Iwobi that strikes me is that it's, it's surprising to me and it seems obvious to me that he has he really has the trust of his teammates. Guys like or guys like Alexis are happy to give him the ball when he's under pressure because he's got such a good touch. Uh, and I think that speaks volumes, really, because there are more senior players in the side who sometimes you feel there is a slight reluctance to give him the ball in certain situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not so with Iwobi, I think. you know, And that, that tells you something about the regard in which he's held by, by his teammates.
2: Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point. Uh, the first goal, then, as well... Um an Arsenal goal that we haven't seen for, for mm. quite a while. Mm. We we kept possession. There was a threatening moment where it came to, I actually came to Iwobi in the box and it was one of those situations where you could say, again, with a bit more experience, he might have made more of it himself, but we kept the ball, we worked it around, and the combination play, the movement, the finish, just a, a beautiful, beautiful goal and one that we haven't scored in quite some time.
1: Yeah, and real patience. I mean, you forget. I remember I was on Twitter at the time and people were sort of uh, up in arms saying, oh, Wobie should have got a shot away there. We should have made something of that opportunity. But we showed real patience to keep the ball, work it back across the pitch and eventually scored from the very same move. And interesting to see Ozil and Alexis combine the way they did. I mean, Ozil's pass back to Alexis in that quick one-two is absolutely brilliant with the outside of his left foot. Mm. Um, But I felt like in the front four... There was a real uh, a sense of sort of almost two dovetailing partnerships there. I thought Welbeck and Awobi combined really well at times. And I felt in this game more than ever, or more for some, than for some time, Ozil and Alexis had a real um, synchronicity in the way they played. There seemed to be a sense of Alexis ducking in field constantly and, and making little combinations with him. And it, I think it improved us naturally.
2: Do you think there's something to be said for Alexis on the right, given that he has been struggling on the left?
1: I think he's been better in the last two games on the right. Would you think that as well? Mm, Yeah. Um, I I don't know whether it just
2: gives him a fresh perspective that things that aren't working uh, on the left might come off a bit on the right. I mean, overall, even though he got a great assist, I think it was another game where it it didn't really quite happen for him. But you can just see signs that even though he's not playing particularly well, that he is involved in, in the good things that we're doing. Um, yeah. You know, he he hasn't been as individually dynamic or as effective as he was last season, but perhaps collectively he seems seems to be more in tune with those around him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that there are positive signs, but it's it's the decision making that's still a little bit questionable at times. But uh, you know, in some ways, he's he's always had those traits to his game. You know, he's always had that kind of. Uh, you know, he takes risks and sometimes it doesn't come off. It just feels like, I don't know, maybe he's, he's slightly... The knack's not there. You know, things aren't happening for him, are they? It's that abstract quality. Yeah. Um, and Danny Welbeck, really, you know, a nice take. And uh, I thought another another really good performance from him showing why... Uh, why he deserves to be starting at centre-forward right now.
2: Yeah, it was interesting to read the manager saying afterwards that they were being a bit cautious with him because mm-hmm. his knee still isn't completely right. But, look, he's got four goals in, what, eight games since he's returned, so oh, God, I don't think we can really argue with that. And, yes, he has brought something different to the centre-forward position, the movement, the, the ability to hold it up if we need to hold it up, uh, and also the ability to get in behind, which, again, then uh, stretches defences and creates space for midfielders uh, to try and attack the ball in dangerous areas. So, yeah, I, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from from Danny Welbeck.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it's a bit of a a different look to the team, isn't it? Once you put Gabriel in at centre-half, Elneny in at central midfield, uh, Iwobi from the left, Welbeck up top, it's it's quite a different side to what we had even a month or so ago. Um, and do you think it's encouraging? Do you think, you know, uh, this is what we should be working from from now until the end of the season?
2: Look, it's hard to know, isn't it? Because one good performance, one swallow doesn't make a summer, as they say. So so we've got to be a little bit cautious. You know, I'm always uh, a little reticent to say after, you know, one or two performances that this is the answer or that this player is the next this. Or I think we have to see it happen over a more consistent period of time. But what you would say is that after what has been a very difficult period, where things haven't really worked, where combinations on the pitch haven't been as good as, as we would have liked, that you can see some promise in this. Now, mm. maybe the next game we'll play the same team and they'll look like complete strangers. I don't know. But if they do play again in a very cohesive fashion, and that was probably our most cohesive performance in, in months, mm. um, then you might say we're we're on the right track and maybe it's a case of desperate times calling for desperate measures that he has been trying things all season long that haven't come off he's been denied the ability to to use players who would have made an impact you know with uh, Alexis being injured Sadie Azorla being injured Jack Wilshire being injured uh you know that there have been he has been restricted in certain ways uh, you do wonder though maybe he might have been a little bit uh, re- reluctant to change things sooner Perhaps we could have seen El Nenny a bit quicker uh, than we did, but you know, uh, at the same time, we don't know what's happened on the training ground. Whether there was some, you know, integration needed or what have you. But I think it looked very promising, uh, and I'm keen to I'm keen to see it again.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be too reductive about the whole thing, but I do feel like we had a team that kind of worked until November. We had the heart of it ripped out with Coquelin and Casola, and unfortunately, it's taken us till towards the end of March. To, to find a side with anything like that kind of balance. Mm. Um, uh, and, you know, that's partly because there weren't adequate replacements for those players who could come straight in and keep the same shape, keep the same system. But it's taken quite a, a radical overhaul. Mm. But we do seem to be back on track now. Probably too late for a, for a chance of the title.
2: Yes. Yeah. Uh,
1: I mean, as um, you know, my, my delight at our win um, was tempered by... Uh, Leicester's subsequent victory, Mm. because it sort of brought home, you know, it's great that we're back on the winning track, but that gap is still very big.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's 11 points as it stands. And I know we've got a game in hand, but it's still 11 points with, with eight games to go. And it would take, what was that horse? What was the horse in the Grand National? Oh, Devon Locke, Devon Locke, Devon Locke, who jumped over an imaginary fence, was way out in front and jumped over an imaginary fence and and slipped and uh, other horses came through to to win the race. Uh, The the problem is, of course, is that it's not just Leicester that have to slip. It's Tottenham that have to slip, too. We're not just looking at one team um, collapsing. We, We need two teams to collapse because if Leicester collapsed and Tottenham didn't, that would be disgusting.
1: I mean, this is the, this is the great conundrum, isn't it? As Arsenal fans, I mean, we might get onto this later, but you know what to what to hope for now. You know, if a Leicester collapse, we need Leicester to drop points, but the thought of what that could mean for Tottenham is so horrendous. Mm, we need Tottenham to drop points. That's I, all we need, really. <laughs> I,
2: I, to be honest, at this point, it would be amazing, obviously, if both of them did. But as it stands, uh, under the circumstances. If if you had to pick one of those teams to drop the points, it would be Tottenham. Of course. Because if it were Leicester and, and Tottenham keep winning and then they go and win the title
1: I can't. I can't. I can't even. I'm almost at the point where I'm I'm willing Leicester on now because I don't think that we can catch them. Mm. Um I've looked at it and I think they've got seven games left, have they? I'm I'm fairly convinced if they win four of those no one will catch them. Yeah. It would take something remarkable. Well,
2: I, from- I, I have, I did get up the the fixtures here, right? So let's see right. what let's see what you think of. Uh, let's uh, take um, a little nod from the Arse to Mouse podcast and and okay, just look the at the fixtures, the Predictatron, yes. And we'll do we'll do our own little Predictor here, will we? Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's, all right let's do it. Okay. So I'll just put down a, an A here for what I think. And a J here for what you think. And first up is Leicester. Okay, so uh, Leicester versus Southampton.
1: I think Leicester will win that game.
2: I think that's going to be a draw. Okay. Uh, Sunderland versus Leicester. (laughs) Uh, I think Leicester will win that game. I think Leicester will win that game too. Leicester versus West Ham.
1: I think that will be a draw, personally.
2: Yeah, I'm going for a draw on that one. Their fixtures are quite tough. Leicester versus Swansea. I think Leicester will
1: win that game.
2: Leicester will win. I agree with that. Man United versus Leicester. I think Leicester will lose that game. That was what I was going for also. Uh, Leicester versus Everton. I think Leicester will win that game. Mhm. And Chelsea versus Leicester. I actually think Leicester will lose that one. I'm going to go for... I'm gonna go for a draw there. So you've got them getting um, one, two, three, four wins, two draws. So that adds fourteen, 14 points.
1: points. So that would take them to eighty to eighty points. That's a lot of points.
2: Okay. Well, let's. Will we do the? Will we do the Tottenham one then?
1: Well, hang on. What did you have them as?
2: Oh, I have them as one, two, four wins. No, one, two, three wins, three draws, and a loss.
1: So that'd be 12 points. Which is so taken to? 70 78.
2: Eight. Okay. Tottenham? Tottenham, here we go. Okay.
1: Bu-bu-bu-bum. Also, N- some tough games, I would say. Okay, Liverpool versus Tottenham. I think that'll be a draw. I think they're going to lose. Okay, that'll be brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Tottenham versus Man United. Um, I will say. I'll say Spurs will beat Man U.
2: Yeah, me too. I think they're going to win that one. Stoke versus Tottenham. Ooh, draw. Mm, i go for a draw on that one. Tottenham versus West Brom. Tottenham win. Yeah, me too. Chelsea versus
1: Tottenham. That is tough. I'm going to say... Ugh, I'm going to say Tottenham win. I'm going to say they're going to lose that one. I mean, I would be conflicted, but pleased. Mm. Tottenham versus Southampton. Tottenham win. Oh cool. God, I'm saying a lot of Tottenham wins here. Draw for me. Okay, okay. Newcastle
2: versus Tottenham. Do I even need to? Mm, yeah, they'll be long gone. Tottenham okay. Oh,
1: so you've got points there.
2: You've got five, five wins and two draws. So what's that? That's fifteen, seventeen points.
1: That would take them to uh seventeen. So that would to seventy-eight.
2: Seventy-eight. Okay. And I've got them uh three wins, two draws and two losses. So that's nine, eleven. I've got them taking eleven.
1: So that would take them to seventy
2: two. Seventy two. Do we have to do it for Arsenal? Suppose we do, don't we?
1: Suppose we do, yeah. <laughs> we, do, we don't like predictions, but let's do it, yeah.
2: All right, okay, so... um oh, Jesus. Okay, A, and... All right, here we
1: go. Um, Arsenal versus Watford. Well, <laughs> we lost it in the <laughs> FA Cup the other day. I fancy a measure of revenge, though. I think I think we will beat them in the league.
2: Yeah, I'm going for a win on that one. Uh, West Ham versus Arsenal.
1: Tough game. Um... I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say we might lose that one. Sorry, everyone. I'm gonna go for a draw there. Okay, go for a yeah, draw. it's a difficult fixture. Arsenal versus Crystal Palace. Oh, they are in dire straits, Crystal Palace. We should beat them. No problem. <laughs> yeah, but what, what's your <laughs> prediction, though? <laughs> uh, <laughs> my prediction is an Ademiyi or goal and a knee slide across the pitch, down the tunnel, and down Holloway Road. Oh. Um, I think Arsenal will win.
2: Okay, I'm going to... It just feels like one of those games, but I am going to go for a win there for Arsenal. Okay,
1: Arsenal versus West Brom. This is one of the trickier ones, I think. Pulis. He's got a terrible record
2: against us at home, though.
1: Yeah. All right. Arsenal win. Come on.
2: All right. Okay. I'm going to go for an Arsenal win as well. Sunderland versus Arsenal.
1: Allardyce versus Arsenal. Um, I mean, they'll be desperate for points, but they are desperately bad. Yeah. Um, I'm going to. I'm going to say Arsenal. Arsenal should win that game. Yeah. I'm going to say Arsenal win.
2: Okay. I'm. I'm also going for a win there. Um, Arsenal versus Norwich.
1: I think Arsenal should win that game. Arsenal yes, win. I think We've so. We've got a lot of wins here. We
2: do. We're obviously optimistic, I think. I know.
1: I mean, there's no chance of this happening.
2: <laughs> Man City versus Arsenal.
1: I don't think we'll win that game. I think... Oh, I'll say a draw. I'll say we'll get a draw.
2: Right. I'm going for an Arsenal defeat there. I think we'll get beaten. Okay. Um... And final game of the season, Arsenal versus Aston Villa. 11 0 to
1: Arsenal. <laughs> You're
2: going for a win yeah.
1: there, are you? I'm going for a win, yeah. Right. They'll be down. I mean. Yeah. I'm
2: going for a ridiculous draw. Okay. That somehow on the last day of the season, something happens for Aston Villa.
1: They're liberated by relegation.
2: Right. So, of the games, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six wins.
1: I've got and a real draw. optimistic. So, Six that, wins and that's draws. so that's
2: 19, 19 points. 19
1: points. That's a whole lot of points, guys.
2: What does that take us to?
1: 19 takes us to 74. Right. And
2: Not I've enough. got, I've got, <laughs> no, I've got one, two, three, four, five wins, two draws, and a loss. So that's 17 points, taking us to 72.
1: So my final standings what?
2: Your final standings are Leicester on 80 points, Mm. Tottenham on 78 points, and Arsenal on 74 points. And my final standings are Leicester on 78, Tottenham on 72, and Arsenal on 72.
1: Their goal difference is currently uh, 14 goals better than us. Right. But they're (laughs) going to lose some games, you see, and we're going to
2: win some games, and at some point we're going to have to smash someone,
1: right? Hopefully, yeah. So... Okay, so what's I guess really comes home in that is that I think we were quite generous to Arsenal Mm. uh, and we're miles away. (laughs) (laughs) Even if we win all of them.
2: Even if we were to win all of the games. So if we
1: win, if we win all our games, so that's eight remaining games, 24 points. 24 points. points. That would take us to 79. Mm. Leicester still need only... Fourteen points from seven games, mm. which is—I don't know, f- f- you know, five wins. Yeah, I mean, it's, and we're not—we're not, we're not going to win all our games, are we? No, we're not.
2: We're not, and we're looking at those. We're looking at Leicester absolutely choking under the pressure. That's the only way that they're not going to win this league is if they—if they completely and utterly choke. Um,
1: I mean, I, my slight fear for them is that. I feel like this weekend was the first time that it felt like everyone in and around Leicester, the man, you know, Leicester so the manager, but the players, the fans, really, really accepted the title as a possibility. And granted, that's because it is now, but until now, they've been incredibly good at downplaying it. Um, and mm. I do wonder, you know, they've won, I think, is it uh, some, something crazy? All these 1-0 games, there have been loads of them. Can you keep that going? I don't know. mm
2: well, you know, they've shown no signs of uh, of letting up. They're grinding out wins. They're they're doing it like champions are supposed to, right? I suppose that's so, what people yeah. say. You get those 1-0 wins and that's, you know, play poorly and win, score and, you know, defend, have a bit of luck along the way. Look, I think it would be something, it would take something exceptional for them not to do it from this point of view. And even if that happened, uh, it's got to take something uh, a little bit exceptional for Tottenham as well. Although if you win our game in hand... Tottenham, only three points. You know, they could lose it. But we're not going to win all our games. That's the that's where we come back to, isn't it?
1: We need Spurs to drop points, whatever happens,
2: yeah, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. Well, look, um, that's going to make for a... we're going to be a very curious, very interesting final couple of months of the season. A lot of what might have been or what should have been from an Arsenal point of view. I
1: mean, I guess the good news is that um, the teams behind us, at least this weekend... You know, did slip up a bit. Man City obviously lost. And then mm. uh, West Ham conceded that late equaliser at Chelsea. So we've got a, a little bit of a cushion to, to fifth now. At any rate, five points.
2: What about this, uh, this story doing the rounds about Pep Guardiola? That if Manchester City don't finish in the top four, he's got a clause in his contract to say that he's not coming. How does that affect
1: stuff? I don't know. I mean... I'd find that extraordinary, but it's possible, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, because, you know, if, you, if they're hiring Pep, presumably the this pr- his primary agenda is to win the Champions League. Um, and if they're not in it... Mmm. Mm. Mmm. Mm. Certainly. Food, food for thought, certainly. I imagine all the money they're going to give him, though, will help make up for that.
2: Well, yeah, but... But... Maybe, um... Maybe it leaves things open, just, you know, throwing it out there.
1: <laughs> you know? Maybe.
2: Whether it changes anything from an Arsenal point of view or what the Arsenal uh, board think, we will wait and see. So, look, will we take a break and come back with questions and other things? Yes, yeah, a, hef- a hefty part one. We have Indeed. To look at uh, all right, cool. We'll be back in just a minute.
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer the questions or talk about the things that you'd like us to talk about. Send to us on Twitter, at Gunnar Blog, and at ArsBlog, and also on the Facebook page. Uh, it's Facebook. What? <laughs> Well, facebook.com forward slash the arse blog That's where it comes from. Uh, so we do have some questions from there as well. Right. Lovely. Do you want to go? No, I'll go first. I'll go first. Oh, okay. I should have. Oh, God, now I've lost it. Here <laughs> it is. All right. Here it is. All right. Uh, Svenzo7. Who's at Svenzo777? Because mm. there must have been 77 other Svenzo7s. No, I'm not 77. Lots more. 770. Wow. Ooh. That's a lot of Svenzo sevens. But anyway, he wants to know. My banner would say, "I hate banners. Banners are stupid." What would your banner say?
1: Ban the banners. Ban the <laughs> um, banners. No, I. Um, my banner would say, um, "Oh, hello, arson. Well done today. Thanks for trying your best." Given the fact that we've not really contested the league for some time now and we trail Leicester and Tottenham in the league, Uh, I personally think that your position should be under scrutiny. However, I appreciate that you are in a difficult situation, um, (laughs) and I just want to say all the best, and I hope you make the best decision for you and your family. That
2: is going to take an awful lot of
1: cloth. It's a real big banner, guys. It's a real big banner. (laughs) And I bet uh, you would
2: do it with a better font than just some crappy Times New Roman.
1: Oh, I'd do it—you know, Comic Sans, something really wacky. <laughs> 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 uh, I don't know. What would your banner say?
2: Um, I wouldn't take a banner. Okay, just, just weapons. Yeah, just just weapons. No, you know what I think. You know when there's a, uh, a mass shooting? Okay. Yeah, well, I'm worried about this. But all okay. right, you know when there's a mass shooting. They, the psychologists and the people say that you shouldn't report on it in any sort of gratuitous way because all it does is inspire copycats. Right. So yeah. my feeling is that the TV companies shouldn't allow the banners to be shown on the TV because now every cunt will think it's cool to have a banner. Next week yeah. there'll be a guy there with a really ludicrously, ludicrously long one that's take, taking up a huge amount of cloth and ink and stuff. Um, yeah, I just just don't see, you know, after a win, uh, strange scenes, wasn't it? Because BT were there showing the banner and then all of a sudden it looked like it was kicking off between Arsenal fans and they cut away really, really quickly.
1: Mm. I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't pretty, was it? But, um, I mean, I, 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 I don't like, I don't really like seeing the banners, but equally I respect, it's a very political statement, isn't this? I'm being very... You know put politique, but I respect the right of people to have them and to just have those views uh, what did you make of the chance by the way at the at full time the fuck off Stan Kroenke get out of our club that was quite audible I thought well, it's nice to find something
2: that most Arsenal fans will agree on at yeah. last.
1: <laughs> maybe that's what it was and yeah look I
2: you know I think the it's absolutely fine if you want to have a banner have a banner, but then um I don't know if it, it feels a bit like self promotion to me um
1: Oh, sure. I'm sure the people who are responsible for the banner are very, you know, delighted about the coverage it gets. But, um, I don't know. Equally, they probably believe in what they're saying. They probably think that's the best thing for Arsenal Football Club. I, I, I don't think they're, I, I'm sure that for the 90 minutes they were backing the team. You know, I'd like to think so at any rate.
2: Yeah, no, no, no. I don't, I don't doubt that. I just, I just question the timing of it after a win. You know, mm. there was a, there's a clip and I don't know if this is deliberate or not but there was a clip that went up and Coquelin was going over to the fans and as Coquelin turns away, the banner goes up. Right. You know, yeah.
1: If
2: you're going to that- fly it, fly it.
1: You I know, agree. Own it for fuck's sake. I agree with you there. Yeah, that's a little bit cowardly if mm. that's the case. I mean, look, let's, let's move on to this question. This is from okay. West, Ant- West Antone. It's It's relevant. He asks, after his comments about the fans after the Everton game, is Arsene Wenger burning his bridges? And I'm sure, you know, you've all seen these comments coming out today. Um, for example, the critics know what hurts me is that at the important moment of the season, we played in a sceptical environment. And I think there are others where he more specifically mentions the supporters. Um, I can't remember them off the top of my head, but it's quite clear that he feels like the side hasn't had the support. He feels it warrants.
2: Mm. I, I covered this in great detail today on, on the blog Yes, it's um, worth a
1: read Everyone should check it out
2: Yes, so uh, just uh, click onto arsblog.com today And you can see the, uh, the, the post there on, on Wenger, the fans and the sceptical environment you know, I, th- I think it's quite interesting because Arsene Wenger is a man who is uh, clearly very, very intelligent And he's aware of what he says and how he says it And I think he must know that if he must know that the fans uh, are frustrated, that there's a mood, uh, that there is certainly a movement against him from certain sections of the Arsenal fan base. He can't be unaware of that, and he can't be unaware of the frustration. So I just wonder if by saying something against the fans, what was his intention? What's the intention there? Is it to is it to sort of uh, galvanize the support? behind the team for the next home game or is it a bit of a two fingers? I don't know quite quite what it was, you know. I mean, there are things that he could have said that would have, ahead of our next game, rallied the troops to a certain extent, you know. But there's, there's very little sense that or acknowledgement of the problems that we're having or have had since January.
1: I think that uh, as a manager, he's probably used to motivating different types of personality and he'll be used to the approach of carrot and stick and generally he has been very positive about the fan base he always says you know our supporters uh, are very committed we appreciate them and i just wonder if maybe he thinks i'm gonna try a different tack i'm gonna light a bit of a fire here and see what the response to that is maybe he's hoping it will create a you know, a cauldron of noise at mm-hmm. the Emirates when Watford come next week because the fans will be stung by what he's said. And maybe he's prepared to take the flack for that. You know, he's taken a lot of flack for things in the past. He, if people are going to be angry at him, so be it. But he wants to generate support behind the side and thinks this might be a way to achieve that. I, I you know, West Town's question says, is he burning his bridges? I, I... I don't know if he means is he deliberately doing so?
2: Yeah, I think um, I think that's probably what the implication is, knowing yeah. full well how those comments would be received.
1: Maybe I I kind of feel like I can't see why he would do that. I can't see the logic to that. Can you can you
2: no, not, not unless it's self-destructive. That's the only thing I can think of. And that he doesn't strike me as that kind of a, that kind of a person. Maybe he's just frustrated himself. Maybe he is, you know, looking at a four nil win over Hull and a banner comes out, a two nil win over Everton and a banner comes out. You know, m- maybe that's what he's reacting to. But just in the context of the season and the way that this thing has played out over the last couple of months, it, it just struck me as really clumsily worded comments, that it's not, you know, it's well, he's not... he's not
1: a clumsy man. No, he's not. He's not. Absolutely not. And well, he is like, apparently, in a physical sense, it's quite hilariously clumsy. Yeah, but, he can be. He can uh, be. <laughs> in terms of his rhetoric. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what's strange.
2: Yeah, there, it really is. It really is. Actually, there's one here, a uh, question which I was going to get to. It's sort of related should uh should find this do, 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 do. okay Philip Gardner at Gardner TV FTw not sure if it's too early blah 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 uh, why is it the f- why is it the fans never blame the players this season and always the manager
1: hmm I'm just trying to figure out if I think that's true um certainly some individual players have cocked stick at times. Uh, But I guess collectively less so. Maybe it's because people believe in this group of players more than they did in the past. You know, this isn't a group. This isn't the Jovino era, you know. Mm. This is uh, the Ozil era. And there are... This is a stronger group of players. I I really do believe, as we've had for a long time. And so maybe that's part of it. Yeah. Um, I also think that it's pragmatic. Because managers always take the flack in those situations because you can change a manager very easily much more easily than you can change an entire roster of players Sure, and sometimes that can provide an upturn in performance and results Mm. Um, so I think people want a solution and they want things to change and that seems to me to be the most expedient way of doing it I think that's probably the reason What what would you think?
2: I think that yeah, you make good points, I think also the fact that this is not the These are similar issues, similar failings, uh, similar dismantling of a season with different players. It's not the first time that this has happened under our comment thread becomes a yeah, question exactly. Yeah. And like you say, ultimately, a manager is the one who's uh, responsible for the way the team plays, for the way the team performs. You can say all you like about well, he can't legislate for this or he can't legislate for that. But when you buy the players, when you train the players, you coach the players, you send them out with certain tactics, uh, with certain motivation, and if they don't if they don't perform, ultimately, you're responsible for that player being on the pitch.
1: Right, of course.
2: So and I and think I think that's why. And I, you know, I also don't think it's fair to say that that fans never blame the players. Fans have been blaming players all season long, as far as I can see. That you know, individual mistakes get picked on. Uh, I think it goes too far sometimes. I think we're over analytical when it comes to players uh, on both sides of that spectrum. So a player that does something good is, is is hoisted way above the level that he actually is, and when somebody makes a mistake, he's dismissed as something that he's he's absolutely not as well. Um, But, uh, you know, you you don't have to look far to see players being blamed. But when it comes right down to it, it is the manager. who, who At every club, I'm not just talking specifically about Arsene Wenger. It is the manager who has to take uh, the, the responsibility. It's his job. He's the guy who's well paid. He's the guy who does it all. I know he's got his coaching staff and everything else, but he's the figurehead. He's taken that job, and they know. Managers know that that's their responsibility and they know that that's the way that things will be looked at. So it's not as if he's being picked on for for no reason.
1: No, and he's very handsomely rewarded for the work he does, Mm. incredibly well paid. And uh, with that comes responsibility. I I find it um, saddening to see how fractious it is, the relationship between the fans and the manager at present and i think his his biggest critics would say well this is the arrogance of the man you know he thinks he knows better than all the supporters uh, he's basically calling them out he's uh, he's disrespecting them he's not saying they're entitled to their view um and maybe it is maybe there is a lot of arrogance in in what he's doing but i guess without some of that arrogance you don't get to the position that he's in you know yeah. i think he you, you, he does he does know what he's talking about uh Certainly, to to a really good high degree.
2: Yeah, also, I don't think uh, what he said was particularly outrageous in any way or terribly offensive. You know, he's perfect. Mm. He's entitled to his view as much as anybody else. And if football fans... is one of the things that drives me mad about football fans in general is the inability to take a bit back. You're quite prepared. Everyone's quite prepared to dish it out and dish out the abuse and dish out the criticism and everything else. But the minute there's a bit back, it's like... Oh!
1: Yeah, you? like if you scream abuse at a player for ninety minutes, but he turns around and makes one gesture, you yeah. know, it's
2: he's the villain.
1: Yeah, you know, of it's,
2: it's so I think there's a certain. I think if if uh, if uh, Arsene Wenger wants to give a bit back, then fine, we can react to that and take it. Um, but it, it's not the end of the world. He wasn't saying uh, anything particularly offensive. Uh, I just happen to disagree fundamentally with with what it is that he said. Um, I mean,
1: the the other real shame. Uh oh, you do disagree. You disagree fundamentally with what he said. You just you, you think he's wrong about that? I
2: I, I don't think that this sceptical environment that he's talked about uh comes from any other place than the results. And the performances, I don't think it's because fans don't support the team. And there's a side issue here about, you know, what happens in the stadium. Uh, Are fans too quick to get on the players' backs? I think that's probably true to a certain extent. But ultimately, all of that is born out of the results and the performances. That if Arsenal were sitting six or eight points clear at the top of the table, this wouldn't be a discussion. We wouldn't be having this. You know, and it's, it's bred from this familiarity. There's a certain amount of familiarity breeding contempt here. That we've we've been here, we've seen it, we've worn the T-shirt, we've had this season more than once under Arsene Wenger. Uh, we've we've uh, we've been perhaps accepting of it or understanding of it through more difficult times fiscally, and now that those shackles are off, we're seeing the same thing again. I think people are just you know they're just kind of tired of it, and that's where it comes from. And it's the it's the I think it's the results that are affecting. The support, or uh, affecting the the atmosphere, I should say, rather than fans just being ungrateful or, or unwilling to get behind
1: the team. I think that's fair. I think that's true. Um, and the real shame—I mean, not the real shame—but one of the added disappointing things about this this whole sorry saga is that it's creating so much friction between Arsenal fans, as we saw spilling over on BT Sport. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's that's a real problem. That's
2: yeah, real it is, problem. and you know, it's it's very very difficult to see how that problem gets solved. Mm. Um, you know, even if Arsene Wenger or an Arsenal had won the league this season, there'd still be a lot of people that want him to go. Mm-hmm. That if if by doing the thing that fans want the manager to do isn't enough, you know, how can you possibly how can you possibly uh, get over that?
1: Well, I think that the the problem is that over the last decade, I think a lot of fans at different points have decided that they felt it was the time for Arsene to go, and any success subsequent to that will be seen as a sticking plaster, but not a fundamental solution. Mm. Um, and people are entitled to that view. It it just it creates a very divided environment. Mm. Um, And somewhat sceptical, yeah, you could say. Mm. But the fault to that is it lies with the performances on the pitch. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. Okay, let's have another one. Okay, Uh, this is a bit of a change of tack. This is from Magnus Holmberg, and he asks, would you like to see us sign Zlatan on a free and hand him a massive one- or two-year deal?
2: I was going to ask a Zlatan question as well.
1: Okay. Um, Would I like to see it... Because it was mooted, wasn't it, in the press conference yeah. a couple of weeks ago, and Arsenal was quite dismissive, said he wasn't thinking about transfers. Well,
2: yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't understand the question. Uh, I don't understand asking questions about transfers when you're in mid-March and the sure. window doesn't open until June and there's still, you know, enough of this season still to play. I don't, I don't get it beyond the obvious uh, obsession people have with,
1: with transfers.
2: Would I like to see it? Um, I don't know. What is he now, 34?
1: 33,
2: 34, yeah. You know, Uh been playing in essentially the French SPL. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at how ridiculous the, the points gap is uh, this season. Uh, he's a, obviously a tremendous footballer. If you asked me, would you like to sign a 30-year-old Zlatan, I probably would have gone for it. 34 years of age, I'm not 100% sure. I don't think so. I think if we're going to be looking It'll for... be
1: 35 in October.
2: Yeah, no. No. I just don't think so. I don't think he'd be I don't think he'd be up for it in, in the Premier League really.
1: 27 goals in 23 starts in in the league. Against a, against two though. Well, this is it. You know, this is it.
2: Teams with Skrillachi in defense and, and that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> so I mean, look, I'm I'm absolutely all for improving our striking options this summer, but I don't think that Zlatan is the guy for for well, me. So, Here's the other one. Here's a question from uh, Chase Mee, uh, mm-hmm. who is uh, at Torta and Tequila. It's a nice combination. Uh, he says, can we get Lukaku this summer?
1: I hope so. I really hope so. I mean, my point about his left hand was going to be that if, if we've seen anything in recent weeks, it's that the team seems to function better with a, a more mobile kind of striker. Yeah. Um, Welbeck's done really well in that role. I think... There are still question marks over how prolific he can be. Lukaku's scoring record is is excellent. And I I know people will say, oh, he didn't really play well against us the other day. He didn't, but he didn't really get any service. And I think you can't argue with what he's done over the course of the season. At 22 years of age, he's done fantastically well. And I think... Uh, you know who who would be better that we could realistically get? I think becomes the real question.
2: That's my thinking on it. Right? Look at the world class strikers that we've had uh, in the Arsene Wenger era. Uh, we had like late stage Ian Wright. We had Dennis Bergkamp, who was already at the club, but Thierry Henry arrived as not a failure, but as somebody who hadn't quite fulfilled his potential and was finding it difficult at Juventus. Uh, Robin van Persie was a guy who. Uh, Obviously had a lot of potential as well, but spent a lot of seasons injured and blossomed late in his 20s to become Mm -hmm. a world-class striker. Neither of those players were bought as established world-class strikers. And I think despite our increased financial power, we don't have the ability to go and buy that level of player if Real Madrid is interested, if Bayern Munich is interested, if even Manchester City or Chelsea are interested uh, simply because of the, the, the deep pockets. You know, if someone like Barcelona wants a world-class striker, uh, who, who's the player going to pick, Barcelona or Arsenal? That's what it comes down to. So the only way we can get a world-class striker is to find somebody, and we've said this on the podcast before, find somebody with the potential to develop into that player. And for me, the most obvious candidate in the Premier League anyway is Lukaku. Hmm.
1: I agree. And I, mean,
2: I, I think we could get him if we went big enough because Everton are probably going to change their manager because of Mr. Two Couches being a bit too nice and, and not, good, not good enough, really. Yeah. Um, they've got a new shareholder in there who's going to increase their financial potential, but I think you also have to take into account the ambition of a player. And I think Lukaku would be quite keen
1: to get out of Everton. I mean, look, Everton are twelfth, and he he should be playing in the Champions League. Yeah, uh, he must be aware of that. The, the the thing is, you talk about the price. The price would be high because Everton paid, I think, twenty eight million pounds. It was for him. Uh, he's still under contract there. You know, you he might not be a world class striker yet, but I think you'd be looking at a. A record fee potentially for Arsenal.
2: Absolutely, but if we live in an era where Wilfred Boney costs twenty eight million pounds, where Morgan Schneiderlin costs twenty six million pounds, that is the reality of the era that we live in. So some people might say, "What fifty million pounds for Lukaku? That's that's the market."
1: Yeah, that's what we're and we have the money. (laughs)
2: We definitely have the money and, you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that, you know, a few players are going to go out this summer, a few players of the the sort of age where they might generate some money for us. Hmm. So you're looking at increasing our our financial potential there, uh, our transfer kitty by selling some players as well. That so we are going to have to make some decisions on certain players, and maybe that's a conversation we'd have at a, a later stage in, in the uh, in the summer um, after the season has ended. I think we could we could probably go through the do a predictatron with with the players who's staying yeah. and who's going. I don't think it'd be fair to do that until the end of the season though. But I don't think there's any reason why if we really wanted to. We couldn't get Lukaku.
1: And I was encouraged by Arsene Wenger's praise of him the other day. I mean, I suppose he's, he can't really do anything else, <clears throat> given his form. But he was talking about, you know, having followed him in Belgium uh, and then how he's improved, not just in his finishing, but in his link plays, all-round game. <clears throat> I, I would really love to think that that was something that Arsenal were looking at because, you know, he would be... a uh, he would be a massive signing, a massive mm. signing. I mean, he's the, the. I think he scored fifty Premier League goals before he was twenty-three. The other players who've done that are Robbie Fowler, Michael Owen, uh, Wayne Rooney, and C- Cristiano Ronaldo. For a player who's so young in a position where, as a target man, you know, experience is is vital. Um, you see people like Drogba blossoming really late in their career. For him to be doing that at that age mm. is a sign that he could be a really special player. So, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I can't see any. Do Pass it! Any re- uh, I can't see any reason to not do it. Do it! Do it! <laughs> Bring him in. It would be good. Yeah, That'd I would. Nice. I would like
2: it. I would like it um, because, uh, yeah, I think. I think Wenger is good at um, at bringing the best out of attacking talent. I mm. think that's where his real strength is as a coach. Um, players have thrived under him as attacking players, as attacking talents. And again, you know, he, he, it just strikes me that he's at the point where he needs to take a step forward in, in his career. Uh, you know, and all going well, we'll have Champions League football. Just do it. Just fucking do it. Unless we've got, did you see the story during the week? <laughs> Apparently, uh, France football are reporting that we we're after a striker from Ligue 2. Uh, two, two million euros. <laughs> he's, he's had some back problems.
1: <laughs> oh, my God.
2: He does have a good YouTube video though. I looked at him. Yeah. 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 He's sort of a bit a bit willtordy in his in his shape, but quicker and faster and decent finish, but um yeah. You wow, would like can to you think-
1: <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And guys don't forget we've got Sonogo to come back as well. Mm. Yeah. So, plenty plenty of options. Um are we doing any more questions? Yeah, go on. Okay. Well, this I guess this kind of I like it when the questions sort of join up. This kind of feeds in uh, to the Lukaku theme, I guess. This is from at only one mm-hmm. on Twitter. And he says, Did the return to a more physically gifted players, i.e. El Nani, Welbeck, Iwobi, Ala Invincibles contribute to our performance against Everton? Is it a more athletic type team that we've got
2: now? Oh, certainly. You look at the team and it, it definitely looks a, a bit more athletic. I'm not sure how much impact it had necessarily on on the performance. Mm. Um, you know, because you wouldn't say any of our players, we don't have any fatsoes running around, blubbering their way around the pitch.
1: No, Santi's injured. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, but, uh... <laughs> Sorry. Um, that was really quite mean, but I like No, no, sorry. It's lovely. I love him. I love him. But, yeah, no, I do, I do know what you mean. But you looked at that front uh, front two, Iwobi uh, and Welbeck. They look strong. Like, Iwobi is strong as well, isn't he? You could see yeah, guys trying to knock him off the ball. Of
1: yeah, a couple of great examples of that where he was just holding people off really well.
2: You know, for, yeah, and for a 19-year-old who's only making a step up, sometimes they can find the physical side of things a bit... Uh, you know, a bit difficult, but yeah. Look, you look through the team, and it looks like a taller team. El Nenny's added a bit of um, a bit of height to midfield as well, which mm-hmm. isn't a bad thing. But no, I'm not sure it had a really huge effect on that. But in general, you you would like to see a bit more of that from Arsenal. There's a balance, isn't there? Because you can't just be big and strong, because otherwise you're Stoke. And look at what Stoke have done. They've added some. Actually, Stoke added a little short, fat guy, didn't they? Mm. What's his name? Shakiri Oh, Shakiri, Yeah, yeah, yeah. His hips don't lie. That's for sure. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, but they've added those kind of players. Boyan, more technical, smaller players. So you know, th- there's obviously a place for them. You look at Barcelona as the 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 greatest example of that in European football, but. It's nice to have that bit of extra pace and power and movement. I think the movement, more than anything, is what's really, really interesting. When you play Giroud up front, for example, you know you've got this outlet. You've got a, I won't say static, but you've got a fulcrum to your attack, and things have to work off him. When Welbeck moves left and right and out to the wing, and he spent a lot of time out on the left wing, didn't he? It was Mm. Henri-esque, the amount of time he spent out on the left wing, and I wonder if that was... If that was instruction as much as anything, um, it, it does open up the, the the space in in the rest of the park for for other players to get into like also like Alexis, like Iwobi, um, you know, to 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 use their pace and power to get into. So yeah, I am liking it. I am liking it. But I know, mean, it's, it's
1: a different kind of physicality, isn't it? Because we've dropped two guys in uh, Permutzakar and Olivier Giroud, who are both well north of six foot, mm. um, but neither is the quickest. You know, and I think it's. Uh, a physicality based more around speed and explosive power and i guess that's characteristically what you associate some of Wenger's best teams with mm. so uh, encouraging definitely and, and- you know, a bit of a different take. I, I agree that maybe that wasn't the vital difference against Everton, but I do think we look a slightly better side for it.
2: Yeah, um, Here's one, here's one uh, from Facebook, from the Facebook page, from Matthew Corbett, who says, looking at all the attacking talent coming through the youth system, Iwobi, etc., should we be worried that there's not much coming through in the way of
1: defensive talent? One interesting question. That is a, a good Point. I'm just trying to.
2: He's talked about well, Bellerin. He says is the only one that we've we've had come through in a long time, and there have been players who've been there or thereabouts, haven't there? In 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 terms of the uh, in terms of the defense, fullbacks may be a little bit different, but centre halves has been such a long time since uh, we've had a homegrown centre half, isn't it?
1: It has been a long time. I mean, Colo
2: Ture. Cinder Juru... If you could
1: count Tore, because he, he arrived, you know, 1920, mm. didn't he? Senderos and Juru, obviously, were brought in as... Academy ...teenagers. Um, I'm just trying to think then, before that, you're going back to the Hoyt brothers, aren't you? Mm. <laughs> uh, I mean, Kyle Jenkinson's another who came in quite late. But
2: again, was purchased from Charlton.
1: Exactly, not reared at the club. There was a um, couple of
2: guys, wasn't there, the uh, Correa Gilbert, who played a couple yeah. of games at right back... Um,
1: there were hopes for carl bartley weren't there at some stage but it yeah. didn't tra- come to pass um i mean obviously kieran gibbs broke through and is still part of the squad although not part of the first team anymore um isaac hayden but i think he, you know his career seems to be developing more into a holding midfield player uh, certainly at the present time um i don't know yeah i'm i'm looking i'm thinking i mean in the youth team you know there's a lot of talk about um is it Plexiguelo? I'm probably going to pronounce that wrong. Or yeah. Blah, 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 I have to look at his name because... Uh... Spanish centre-half, not the tallest, but quite... Pleggy. Very good. I think we'll just call him Pleggy, will Pleggy, we? good on the ball. And then um, Christian Bielik, who arrived as a January signing last year, uh, you know, with a reputation as a holding midfield player, but has played almost all his football this season at centre-back mm. uh, in the youth team. So potentially want to watch there, but no, I, I would agree, I, I mean it's not that surprising really because defending, I guess is a an area of the field where experience is is absolutely vital and with Senderos and with Juru and with players of love of that nature, I think Arsenal's been probably a little bit burnt by young defenders mm. and throwing them in too early, so maybe there's a bit of conservatism there
2: Yeah, perhaps, perhaps Also, it just
1: tells you something maybe about the way our academy is structured you know, maybe it's Built to develop very technical players, and thus slightly favours those of a more attacking ilk. Yeah, didn't he um,
2: say something like that uh, last year? That nobody wants to be a defender anymore. Everyone wants to be, everyone wants to be a midfielder. Like the really? football world is made up of you know diminutive technically excellent central midfield players who all want to play number 10 as a or as a number 8 you know they don't want to be the they don't want to be the the guy at the back so i think the bielik thing is interesting because i wonder why having paid that much money for him last summer we haven't quite integrated him now maybe he's mm-hmm. not as good as we think he is but we paid a lot of money for him and this was a guy playing first team football in poland yeah. uh, when we got him so i'm just wondering if there is a plan to uh, to bring him or to play him at centre half for the most of this season to develop him and to give him an understanding a better understanding of that role before he's integrated into the squad in that position next season.
1: That would be interesting, certainly. I mean, obviously, he's not an academy player, but we've got Callum Chambers on the books. Mm. Um, as a young centre-half. We, mu- we must have concerns about our young goalies. I mean, Matt Macy must be absolutely terrible because they kept David Espina on, on Saturday <laughs> Well, that was he could <laughs> barely stand.
2: Yeah, there was one question here. I, I think I have it. I should uh, read it out. I wasn't going to get to it ba it's from Cameron DeMan. At Cameron Deman he's going, Why did Wenger leave Ospina on? He was clearly injured and Everton were pressing hard. Is he just fucking with us now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean I haven't seen much of Matt Macy. I, they said on BT Sport his last game was a five one defeat, uh, I think in League Two on loan. So I don't know, but um Ospina, actually, on that subject, there were a couple of questions about him and I've been very quick to criticise him in the past, but he, I've been surprised by how 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 good he's been since he's come into the side. He's looked, uh, he's looked pretty capable as a, a number two. Yeah. And I think that's his perfect position. I think that's sort of... Fair enough. I wouldn't ever say he's not a good deputy. I just had some issues with him being the number one.
2: Mm, for sure. I mean, he made some great saves in in Barcelona. Mm. The one in the first half, we were standing there Messi, going, "Amazing! How the fuck did he do that? That was a that was a brilliant save." Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think he really had any choice. I don't, put on. He got a crack in the back. Was probably sore for a little while. It could have been costly, couldn't it? Because shortly afterwards, Everton had a corner and Jagielka headed over, not far over. Um, when Ospina came for the ball and clearly, you know, couldn't jump. He had no power in his legs or anything like that. Because mm. having to take a, a goal kick, which is fantastic. I love that. Yeah, great. love that. It's brilliant. You know, I, I always remember playing with goalkeepers who were, you know, not great at kicking the ball out. So as a centre half, you'd I'd have to take them, um, and it's great fun. I think You've
1: got to cool. run out quickly to yeah, make sure everyone's yeah. offside. I enjoyed as well the Arsenal fans adapting the Ospina chant to yeah. Klichalny's name.
2: <laughs> that was very good. All right, you know, yeah. but yeah, I, I can see why they wanted to give him five or ten minutes to see if it to see if it would you know calm down. And I think that's what happened. Uh, oh yeah, uh, that yeah. you know the the initial pain obviously wore off and he was much more able to to move around. So yeah, I, I think probably that's a greater risk than throwing in. A goalkeeper that maybe isn't quite good enough.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think uh, we we got away with it in the end. Um, Mm. So, hurrah. All right,
2: one final question. This comes from Ian Wright, not the Ian Wright. Shame. He's at EH Wright. He's uh, definitely not the Ian Wright. Great big beard. Not Ian Wright.
1: I was invited to be on Ian Wright's podcast this morning, um, but they emailed and called me when I was asleep. So oh. there you go. <laughs> so nice to catch up with him at last.
2: Yes. Uh, anyway, he wants to know because we're heading into one, any interlull survival tips.
1: I mean it fe- I mean this has got to be a really it's, this is a weird one, isn't it? Just as the and approaches its climax, we will have to take a little break from it. Mm. Um the final pit stop before the before the, the, the final straight. Um any tips? I don't know. What's going on in the world? It's it's We've had, I'm just thinking, are there any sort of major diary dates that we can all get behind?
2: Well, it's Easter, Easter. coming up. Yeah, if you're, if you're religious or you really like uh, chocolate, eggs. chocolate eggs that are made from the, the worst chocolate that's been left on the ground and they melt it all down and make disgusting eggs out
1: of it. Yeah, I mean, that is the great secret. Yeah. Ooh, also, April Fool's Day, guys.
2: Oh, that's coming up, yeah. So, that's
1: coming right up. So yeah. think of your think of your pranks. Have a great um,
2: prank ready. That Arsenal would be good. are
1: saving theirs until the second when they play Watford at home. <laughs> <laughs> They'll pull something out of their bag, I'm sure. Yeah, of course. It'll the, be even more surprising because it'll be on the wrong day. The clocks go forward
2: uh, Ooh, yes, this on, weekend. Oh, yes, on Sunday. So we get, does that mean less sleep? It does. Well, it means the exact <sighs> same amount of sleep.
1: Mm, yeah, Just, it means getting up. Uh, uh, my head can't really c- compute all this stuff. It's like
2: time travel,
1: right. essentially. Okay.
2: So my yeah, I mean, you could, you could yeah, you could you could play around with that. You could just stand there at one o'clock on uh, on Saturday night and then go woo, or Sunday morning and go. Boo! It's three o'clock or whatever the fuck it is, or it's two o'clock. It becomes two o'clock. I don't know how much time travel is involved. Okay, so you could you could do plan a, like a, a clocks going forward party. I would say my advice would be for people to you know to get out, step back a bit. It's an interlull. Let's not
1: drive ourselves mad with. I would say, things. guys, get some cloth. Work on your banners. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Let's all go and work on our banners for the Watford game. Yeah, we've got two, we've got a couple of weeks to prepare them. All right. You could probably make the banner I wanted to make in that time.
2: Absolutely, but you know, you 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 just the stadium big enough to get it in. That's the, no that's one would the be able to
1: see anything because it would go around the entire length of the stadium. <laughs> yeah, just hang it around the uh, the middle <laughs> tier. That, yeah, would exactly. that would
2: do it exactly. Uh, okay. Well, look, that's it for the interlo survival tips. Um, I hope you uh, have a great interlull. I don't know what's going to happen with an Arscast on Friday because obviously we don't have a game at the weekend, but we might do something uh, or we might not. Who knows? It's just all up in the air. Spontaneous. We'll see what happens, eh? Or nothing. You never know. (laughs) Exciting. But we'll be here next Monday with an Arscast Extra to catch up on all that nothing. Uh, Until then, have yourselves a great week.
1: Goodly bye-bye.
2: Oh, hang on. Oh. Oh, an extra thing. Uh, last week on the Arscast I was supposed to do the winners of a prize uh, that I did on the previous Arsecast. Um, but I, because I was so knackered, um, I, I forgot completely to do it. It was for T-shirts and a print from Art of Football. So what I'm going to do is li- live, live, mm. pick some winners. I'm, I'm just going to randomly scroll up and down my email here and pick somebody. Stop. James Lawler. James,
1: great name, strong name.
2: Yes, yes, he has won himself a Birdcamp t shirt and uh, a Birdcamp print from Art of Football. And we've got one more, okay? Uh, uh, okay, more so are you scrolling. Yeah, I'm scrolling, 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 uh, scrolling. And stop. Would you like to fuck my wet pussy tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I stopped on a spam one.
1: Sure, I hope it's spam. I mean, I. It, Who knows? I know you get a lot of mail.
2: That was definitely a spam one. Uh, the okay, one below we'll it, go though. Again. The one below it, I think yeah, that's one a fair way of doing it. Uh, Trevor Craddock. So well done Ooh. to you, Trevor.
1: Well done, Trevor.
2: But we'll give you a t shirt and a print from artoffootball.com. Check them out. It's art-of-football.com. Lovely stuff. Lots of hyphens. Um, all right, we will catch you on the next one. So until then, folks, that's definitely it this time. Cheers.
1: Bye-bye.